welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. I am very, we've been looking forward to this one for so, <laughs> so, so long because he's back, boys and girls. Oh, gosh. The one and only sound guy, designer, FX guy, and founder of the Hollywood Sound Museum. The one and only Steve Lee is here. Hi. Welcome. How are you? you you build me up so much. I don't quite know how to. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Hire me as your I public. appreciate it. Hire yeah, me exactly. As your hey, uh, the museum might need someone. That'd be cool. Uh, but this is so <laughs> exciting. Uh, we had so much fun last time you were here. To this day, it is still the only ninety-minute show yeah, we that we had. We we ran an extra half hour long. It's a surprise to me as much as it was to everyone else. <laughs> But that's fine. Let's see if we do it again today. Let's see we, all, we might do it. We've let's, got. Let's not commit yet. No, let's, we have yeah. so much stuff here again because, and oh. all of our regular listeners know we've talked about it before. You know, the guys from Formosa have been on here before. Academy Award winners. You know, Scott Hecker, Mark Mangini. Um, I've done one-on-ones with Mark Steckinger, mm-hmm. um, Tim Ho- Hoganocker. They've all been yeah. in studio. Mm-hmm. And each one who really has a different discipline when it comes to sound. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Everybody has their own different approach, but it's all about the st- storytelling, regardless. It's like we're all telling a story. Everybody has their own sort of you know methodology about it, and they're all fascinating. Um, and it, it's it's fun to learn the history of all their the the way they work. But ultimately, we're serving the story. If yep. if, if everything's coming together, we're helping the the tell the dramatic part of of the tale you are witnessing and you know and i love and i love that lead in that build up you just did so whenever pam comes back you know i just <laughs> i just interviewed william h macy oh, right. last week with, about his new film crystal it's his third directorial right um i loved his first one rudderless was amazing he's a brilliant guy he really Uh, is and he is very gifted at storytelling you know his mentor be it acting be it directing is dave mamet oh wow yeah 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 i mean he constantly refers back to things that mamet has told him to do over the years um and the best way to approach certain things sure and he implements that and with this movie crystal i mean it's I just, it's written by Will Aldis, set in the South, in Georgia. He gets, and he actually acts in the film as well, opposite his wife, Felicity Huffman. I love her. And, you know, then he's got Rosario Dawson, Mm -hmm. Nick Robinson, who everybody is just falling in love with if they didn't get enough of him in Jurassic World. (laughs) Love Simon, which is just eating up the box office. Right. Um, Of course, and the incomparable Kathy Bates. Oh, yeah. She's always brilliant. But, and William Fitchner, who has one of the funniest roles that I've ever seen him do. But, you know, it's interesting. Talking to Bill about the film, he was surprised with this outing, how much he can do with sound and how important sound is. Absolutely. And we talked about overlapping. So I'm going to have Pam play the clip of my interview with Bill talking about overlapping and then I'll let you talk about what that is and explain the importance of it to everybody. Oh gosh. Okay. (laughs) And then we get to see you and Felicity just having a blast. We really did. That scene, the dinner scene and no holds barred. And here's where your sound design came in where your sound guys, because Everything, everybody's talking on top of everybody. Everything is crashing, stuff is sliding. 
we hear all of it. Yeah. Nothing is muffled. Yeah. I love overlaps. I mm-hmm. love them in film. They are very, very effective. And you talk about, you said, uh, does it get easier? I have been learning. Um, and this time, the big revelation to me, God, filmmakers are going to listen to me and think how naive he is, but <laughs> you can do more with sound design than I thought. Um, you can really change the tone of a scene. You can change the import of a scene. I worked on the the sound a lot, and I was amazed with what these technicians were able to do. Same thing with the color timing. Who knew? You can make a huge difference in a scene. You're absolutely right on the, the issue of sound design, color timing. Things can you can enhance, you can correct, you mm-hmm. can also screw it up. Yeah. Also, um, I'm late learning this in my career, but I, I'm a big dialogue guy. I'm what did the what did the writer write and. Uh, when it's scintillating, it's uh, lovely. It's like m- your favorite song. I'm, I run into any other actor who's ever done American Buffalo, and we'll start riffing the lines because mm-hmm. they literally feel good to say. Yeah. They're so funny and so alliterative and musical. Um, the whole I'm, I've come to the conclusion it doesn't really matter in a film what people are saying. It doesn't matter that much. So this whole thing of overlapping, mm-hmm. it adds verisimilitude. And you're right. If, you, if, you, if you're cagey, you can get all the information out. It sounds like a cacophony, but all the points you had to make, It's all it there. It's like listening to a great, like Mark Steckinger did the sound design on John Wick too. Right. And you can hear those guys at Formosa. I know so many of them. But Mark has it down to, you yeah. can hear each individual caliber type Mm-hmm. A bullet in the middle of a massive gunfight with 16 guns. Yeah. And that just adds, you don't think about it. You don't think time. about it, yeah. And that's All of this stuff, the audience doesn't here. know anything about. It's a grand illusion, and, uh, and we love it, don't we? And yes, that's we, great. We certainly do love the grand <laughs> illusion. So, you know, overlap, and this is what I love about Bill and, and other directors who pay attention and they're sound people. Yeah. Um, you know, the supervising sound editor on Crystal is Brian Parker. Mm-hmm. And you hear there are five and six people in the room and everything is overlapping. But you can hear the dialogue. You hear dishes crashing. You hear tablecloths. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very it's it's very orchestrative and very it, it it's you're going across all the dis- different disciplines of sound because, you know, you have the production mixer on the set recording the dialogue, you have certain amounts of it that need to be replaced, which in a scene like that, where you're bringing up certain people, you might need to do so that you have them clean. Uh, and then you have all the elements that you're integrating. You know, it's, it's, it, it can be intimidating for a mixer to try to make sense of all this material. As Randy Tom once says, the, the first day on a mix is usually a lot of people pulling out their hair and storming out of the room because you get it all together and it just sounds like a mess. And you have to start weeding through what you need to tell the story. Um, I remember a moment on Goofy Movie where uh, they were uh, Goofy and his son are on this car that's in the middle of this uh, fierce uh, river that's like throwing them every which way. And they have this intense dialogue scene as it's going down. They're yelling at each other why they did the certain things they did over the course of the film. And I remember Kevin Lima, the director, being very um, 
you know, into the dialogue and saying, you know, I don't mind if we lose this line or this line or this line, but as long as we push this part of the story and this, you know, you start working together to create the points that you need to, to express, to get the story across. And sometimes you can, you can just throw something away Mm -hmm. and it might be picked up subliminally. I remember Walt Disney talking about pirates of the Caribbean when he went through the first time and there were all these, you know, animatronics talking and all these story points and, you know, and all the Imagineers were terrified that, you know, Walt's going to hate this. Walt isn't going to like this because it's just a mess. And he said, no, no, no. It's like going to a cocktail party. You know, you hear some people talking about something here. You hear something. It's interesting. It's you find what you want to listen to. And that's uh, orchestrating that is really a challenge. So, uh, yeah, and I do know, you know there are, there are quite a few directors, and when you watch their films, they never have overlapping. It's like one line will finish, yeah. then another line starts. Yeah. But even in like a Howard Hawks comedy where the dialogue is bam, 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 it's one person talking, one person talking, one person talking. Yeah, you know, think about yeah. His Girl Friday. Yeah, exactly. With, exactly. with Roz Russell and Cary Grant. Exactly. And nobody is stepping on anybody no. else. Yeah. But it is so much more natural, especially when you have a dysfunctional family dispute going on <laughs> in a dining room at a dinner table with bodies sailing across, yeah. a, you know, the yeah. table. And the tablecloth is going and the crystal oh, is going. I'll need to see this. It sounds it's, fascinating. It just opened on Friday. Okay. And it's really oh, good. Great. And what Bill does is the dialogue, it's very loquacious. It's mm-hmm. very, we don't hear this kind of dialogue much in film. Right has a theatricality to it. And there are some heavy themes and darker themes, but he keeps the film so light. Adam Silver is his DP. Mm. Adam Silver had uh, did Fort Bliss a few years ago, and I love what he did with that. Um, but he also did Heathers, the TV oh, show Heathers. Okay. So <laughs> it's the dark and light. Um, but they keep the visual tone very light. Which also allows for this great play with the sound design. Sure. And yes, you need to see it. it I mean, it no, really, I, I it would love really to. Really, is good. I'm a big fan of Bill's, and he's got a great sensibility, and everything he said, you know, is absolutely right. And it's 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 nice to be able to work with a filmmaker that wants to learn the process. Sometimes they're very shut off about it, or they have a very you know know it all kind of attitude, and they don't they have this wall toward learning something new. I've worked with, you know, some directors who've been very difficult to, you know, just won't learn the process and Mm -hmm. nitpick everything and they don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, but they still have a say about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, rather than work with you and learn the reasons for what we do and how we do it and what we can do to convey the story more, it's, you know, it's very helpful. Uh, Very early on, too, while you're shooting it, while you're thinking about it. Um, I mean, you're talking about, you know, all these people talking once. Another example comes to mind. Uh, our dear friend Richard Anderson, who called in last yes. time I was on the show, mm-hmm. uh, he supervised Goonies. And you have all those kids talking at once. And, and in a cave, no less. Yeah, and in a cave. <laughs> so that was a tremendous, you know, mixing challenge. Uh, one, of the, one of the dialogue editors, a guy named Andy Patterson, who's a brilliant guy, said that the foreigns on Goonies were brilliant because each one of those kids was, was looped by a different foreign actor. And so they were all on separate channels, so they could pan the dialogue uh-huh. if they wanted to, and that made more you could still discern dialogue from people. Wow, it's harder when it's all together, you know it's mm-hmm. all recorded at once, mm-hmm. so uh you know there's certain things you can do to to make that more readable but there so now everybody has learned about what overlapping is, so I'd love to see more first time you know and you know one or two films in filmmakers. Yeah. 
you know, apply some of the things. Something else people can apply are going to be some of the sound effects that we're going to talk about here again. Steve, of course, <laughs> brought us some of the sound effects that you all know and love. But yeah, he knows the story classics. behind them all. Yeah. And, you know, for those of you that are listening, you know, if you hop on Facebook, the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. We're streaming right now. We're streaming right now. <laughs> And as usual, and plus we're doing a two-camera video shoot that'll be, you know, in post and out there. It'll be on YouTube later, yeah. Yes, it will, and on BehindTheLensOnline.net. Right. That's right. Uh, Get your plug in. But <laughs> I try, you know? I know. We're shameless here. Yeah. Well, half the time I forget about me, you know. You gotta, you gotta do it. But, uh, no, so you'll get to see that, but you'll also get to see... The accoutrements. We have several yes. special accoutrements. I today. always I always treat these as show and tell. So I always bring something for the 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 people that actually are watching that can actually see picture and on Facebook and all that. Brought a few treats to actually show them. The radio people will just have to listen to our descriptions. They will have to wait yes. to see the video. Yes, make an but, effort, please. But you know, on the adrenalineradio.com Facebook page, you can go back and you can watch. It'll be show. archived. Yeah, yeah, it'll be yeah. archived, so you can see it again. Well, I linked. I just I is you might have seen me fuddling with my phone. A I moment did the ago. same thing. I I shared it to my personal page and the Hollywood Sound Museum Facebook page. So hopefully, some of you people are out there watching right now. Well, you know, let's talk about Hollywood Sound Museum. Because let's do that. This is still, <laughs> we're still in the stages, but it's, it's still very oh, slow. so close. Yeah, it's very slow going because it, it's essentially me and a couple of other helpers. Um, we're, we're right on the verge of our nonprofit status. That takes forever to do, but we're, we're right there. Um, we are gathering some amazing things for the museum and getting pledges of support from some fantastic people. What we really need is uh, donations, and we're going to start really, you know, a drive for 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 funding, because uh, that's terribly important to make sure that we get all this done. And we're going to have a few uh, very special fundraisers coming up, which I can't really talk about yet. I was hoping I would have more solidified by the time of the show. But it just means you have to come back again. I will come back again. That's fine with me. I enjoy it. It's. it's I love fun. having I, you know. I love yeah. having you here, Steve. But because you're you. such a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of film history. And of course, this is also a perfect week to have you because next week is the TCM Classic Film Festival. Right. When, I love those guys. I know a lot of people involved with those, uh, you those know, things. Yeah. Ben Burt will be speaking. Uh, he will be introducing and speaking at a special screening of Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments yeah. with Charlton Heston. Yeah. And that will be in the Chinese theater. Which is marvelous. I, I love Ben. Ben is my, my my hero and mentor. We've been corresponding for, for years now. Mm -hmm. And he's a great guy. You know, he, of course, did all the Star Wars sound effects, which are just absolutely brilliant. Um, and, yeah, and, and he's doing all these filmed pieces for TCM, too, yeah. that, uh, that you might have seen. Yeah, some of, well, one of them that he did that I was telling you about before the show that I caught that I just loved mm -hmm. Talking about Robin Hood arrows. Well, that's one of his favorite. films. It's one of mine too. I right? know it's one it's of fabulous. his top top five favorite films. I think of Ben's, and uh, I'm sure the piece was about the arrows that that uh, that are heard in the film, heard and seen, which have a marvelous sort of zinging sound. And I can actually play you that the sound is, effect. See how we just segue yeah, right see how into, we went that? into that. And Pam is already working on it, but I will tell you that it is Q. Forty-four. Number 44. This has been sort of a puzzler for Ben for many, many years. He tried to figure out exactly how these arrows, which are essentially frictionless, mm -hmm. so they could travel so fast, 
how are they making a sound? In that 1938 Robin Hood film. Yes, exactly. Uh, which, that is the seminal yeah. arrow sound. Well, this is actually off of the optical tra- off the optical master of those sound effects. So mm-hmm. you're going to hear a few, you know, optical crackle and pops and stuff like that. It's an old recording. But they're still pretty fresh. I mean, we've used these before. But Ben managed to find the exact cut of the arrow with the, the feathers. It was a very specific kind of arrow. I, uh, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, to what hear because I just heard yeah, it. Yeah, he saw did, the piece he, on TCM. Yeah, he does this lovely. Piece. If you watch, you'll probably catch it. It's you know bumpers between films, and it's just great. And it's great to hear him talk about this sort of thing. But he he tracked down this arrow, and I went to a screening of Robin Hood at the Academy a few years ago, and he actually had an archer shooting arrows over the heads of the audience <laughs> into bales of hay on the stage, and you could hear them zooming by. It's just a wonderful musical kind of go ahead and play that Pam it's it's this great sort of zingy yeah they just sing they just yeah <laughs> I know yeah you can hear the little optical pops between each edit because that's how they that's how they did it back then but we've used these out of the box. I mean, yeah. Ben has these wonderful, pristine recordings of them, but we've used these. Yeah, there they are, hitting a target. <laughs> it's all in how you mic them. You can mic them for a pass-by, or you can mic them for hitting the target. And you hear the room that it's in. It's obviously a stage somewhere. Right. Yeah. yeah, there you go. It's yeah. such a great sound. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Um, the darts in the beginning of Raiders have a very similar quality to that. Mm-hmm. He, I'm sure he snuck a few... Of those, every now and then I'll watch a, a movie that he did, like one of the later Star Wars films or something like that, and I will catch an old Warner Brothers sound effect or something like that that he just sneaks in, just just puts in a little. Hey, you know, if it works, <laughs> if it no. ain't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. No, absolutely, no, it's great, it's great. I mean, we've all heard about Wilhelm, of course, that's an extreme case, but some of the like alarm klaxons and things like that for you know when all hell breaks loose on a ship, he'll use a couple of those or. You know, different different cartoon sound effects mm-hmm. that the wonderful Treg Brown did, who did all the cartoon effects for Warner Brothers. You know, it's uh, there's some classics that just that just fit for the gag. So you 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 got to go there. <laughs> well, of course, of course, and you know, so you know, with the plethora, the plethora, plethora. of sound effects you have brought today, That's such a great word, isn't it? <laughs> Because, you know, stay tuned, because I think at the, at the halfway point of the show, in another about 14, you know, 11, 12 minutes, we're going to have a big reveal. Yes. We're going we're gonna to wait till you know. Yes, we will we're, do that. We're going to do a We will do that We're going to do a big reveal. But in the meantime, how about some more effects? Or talk about some of these uh, other lovely show-and-tell items you brought. Yes. He Let did me, not uh... bring the RoboCop foot sound no, effect again. I did not. Because that's like almost falling apart. I, well, you know, when you had it on your kitchen table for... Yeah, it was it was getting a little old. But I did bring uh, some... This is a trim box, for those of you watching visually. They, you know, film used to be kept in these things, and you used to have racks and racks and racks of these on the shelf. And, of course, you can all see it as an MGM. Yeah. Those were the best ones. They had the lion on They had Leo Every, there. You got Leo. Yeah. You can't go wrong. But what's in here is... Um, some actual prints on mag magnetic film of various sound effects. Speaking of Warner brothers, there's the Roadrunner tongue. It's just, these are just prints of, you used to transfer them to film magnetic film and then cut them in sync to the picture. 
Um, so you had hundreds of little rolls on your bench of all these sound effects that you'd have to cut each one. You listen to it, you roll down and listen to the piece you want, cut it out and cut it into these big units of sound that would all be put together on machines that were synchronized to the picture and then you'd combine them all. Now it's just a click of a computer. But back then it was really something to see all these machines running in unison. Um, but these are some of the... Uh, uh, this is the uh, machine gun, the ricochets from Raiders of the Lost Ark of the Schmeiser, the German machine gun. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh, what else do we have here? And for me, this is like uh, th- for me, this is like being a kid in a candy store yeah. because I grew up with all of this stuff. Yeah, you know, from yeah, we all worked on film. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's you know, yeah. my dad, you know, and you're going to get some of Steve Aww. is going to get for the museum some of my father's relics from the 1940s and 50s. Thank you so much. That's going to so, be great. Here's one you can read that description there, because I refuse. <laughs> Wilhelm, man eaten by alligators. Short <laughs> screams, six times, light optical noise. Yeah. Okay, I, I could really use this sometimes. Ah, <laughs> oh, darn. And here's a, here's, these are all uh, mono. These are all mag uh, stripe. It's like, there's just one channel of sound on this, but they're, they're two, two, if you look on them, they're two stripes of mag on there but they only recorded sound onto one the other is a balance stripe mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't like you know bunch up on one side you know when you like you stack magazines and it starts going this Curling, way because, yeah. yeah exactly uh-huh. so that's why that's there but this is a uh, full coat you could put stereo or four track or six track anything on this. yeah oh it looks like we have a phone call. <gasps> i wonder who that could be. i don't know well she'll have to wait on hold and listen to us for a little bit well oh see and pam is going to pam <laughs> yeah, will let us pam know will let us know who it is yeah i was just um, if it's who i think it is yep sure enough i was actually just uh texting her because she was uh trying to log in to listen to our show and i finally just told her just call in well, just would you, would you like us to? Would you like? Would you like I'm, me to I'll bring in, her live? I'll introduce this wonderful person. Okay. Well, let um, me. Let me. Should I bring her live first? Would absolutely. You, okay. Do whatever you want. Well, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. This is my dear friend Lisa Udall, who is actually uh, one of my co-conspirators, uh, bringing you the Hollywood Sound Museum. I've known her for many, many years. Lisa, how are you? Hey, Steve. I'm doing okay. And yourself? <laughs> I'm doing fine. We're just here talking about sound effects. Hi, that. Lisa. Welcome uh, to Yeah, me, Debbie. The... Well, <laughs> well, hey there, Debbie. Hello there. Welcome. I would like, I, absolutely, I would very much like to hear Steve's logical uh, information regarding the old school of filmmaking and the new film of schoolmaking. Oh, oh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, we were just talking I know about there, Mag. There's definitely a camp for each one. We were just I know talking. there's a camp for each one. I just brought a, tri- uh, a trim box of Mag, and I was just explaining the the whole process of rows and rows of Mag units going down the hall, and how it's now just a click of a mouse to to generate more material. Uh, yeah, it was it used to be great weight work. Yeah. I mean, you know, lifting those ten pound reels, it was great. You yeah. could get great ad. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> can't do that anymore. But let's let me let me give you a proper introduction, Lisa. Udall, uh, her uh, late husband was the great David Udall, who was a brilliant sound editor who, who I've worked with off and on. Uh, he, uh, oh my God, uh, The Thing, Christine, and so many great films. And uh, Lisa has, has graciously given us uh, access to his collection for the museum. 
Ooh. which is which is some marvelous stuff. I've been a huge fan of the of his work and uh got to cut sound with him on several projects including Fifth Element and uh oh what else was he on? What uh, other Fifth Element yeah. sound is absolutely incredible. Well, Mark Mangini was his supervisor, but he had a, a team mm-hmm. of editors with with David and a bunch of others and what what were some of the other uh list his uh, credits Starship please. Troopers? Oh, Starship Troopers. Yeah, he did that with Steve Flick. Yeah. Uh, he also did Once Upon a Forest and Lion King 2, believe it or not. Oh, there you oh, go. My. Yeah, he worked a lot with David Stone, uh-huh. who is a, a dear friend of mine also, Oscar winner for Dracula, uh-huh. Francis uh, Ford Coppola. Oh, Dracula. Dracula. When, when they yeah. did Twilight Zone, the movie, they actually yeah. got the Warner Brothers cartoon library. They were the first to break that wall, as I remember, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, that's All correct. The, they were under the Warner Brothers roof permanently until then, and... He did, you know, Twilight Zone was a big Spielberg film, and mm-hmm. he basically broke down that wall for David to get. I remember David actually telling me that the guy that he went to, the librarian, was like, you know, clutching the box and wouldn't let it go. <laughs> I have to need him. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Believe exactly. it. It's like a Warner Brothers cartoon in itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. Lisa, I'm curious, how exciting is it for you? That, you know, all of David's work and, you know, his colleagues and peers over the years, how exciting is it that all of that is now actually going to have a home and to be showcased so that people can finally learn about the sound guys? So often people, dis- when you go to the movies, people don't think about the sound. They don't think about the guys that are creating, you know, Indiana Jones whip sound or or a Robin Hood arrow or a ray gun, or a Darth Vader sound, but it, they become such a part of the zeitgeist and of our collective consciousness that now people will actually be able to get to learn. That has to mean a lot to you, um, that David's legacy well, will, will continue. Well, oddly enough, it, it will continue and has, um, not only with his actual work that he did, but also with the book that he wrote called The Practical Art of Motion Picture Sound, yes. which is what brought us here to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. But, um, the, I mean, the goal of doing sound effects, editing, dialogue, fully, and ADR, as well as music, is to, the biggest uh, thank you you can have is nobody notices anything because it sounds <laughs> yeah, perfectly yeah. logical and reasonable for, the, one, for one, the, uh, film. One of the invisible but, arts. Um, yeah. the, the other thing is, is, you know, just like actors and actresses get pigeonholed into different roles, sound editors get that same problem, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why David always liked to say, you know, I can also do animation besides the hard <laughs> stuff, because sound is sound. Yeah. Just like acting, you know, you get different sides for actors. But sound effects editors can also get pigeonholed. So having a lot of these things there and a number of effects David created for himself and were in numbers of movies, um, it's just nice. And to find out little things that were paid homage to with sound effects that some actors put in um, (laughs) or editors put in. Um, You know, we all have our little behind-the-scenes jokes, and that's part (laughs) of the fun, too. And like when you said uh, Fifth Element, um, the one thing in regards to Fifth Element, if anybody remembers the scene with Bruce Willis in his um, apartment, mm-hmm. there was a pussycat there. Yes. <laughs> and David um, took our pussycat at the time oh. and oh. stuck him in a darkened room <laughs> and 
and uh, recorded him for a couple hours, and that's our little pussycat Aww. talking back to Bruce Willis. I put my cat in a few films, too. That's always very sweet. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always nice so, when you can, I mean, a lot of yeah. things have happened. Yeah. I mean, those are the kind of things that are fun to know. Just mm-hmm. like, yeah. oh, my gosh, there's a bus in the back of Ben-Hur. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Those kind of crazy things, you know, people look for them, um, but they also like to hear the fun stuff. Yeah. So. um, That's what we aim to do Um, is get all those stories told and archived and and shared with with in context. So they're there for the people in the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just think it's fabulous because I am such a, as Steve knows, I'm such a believer in preserving the past. And my dad, Mm -hmm. after 60 years in broadcast television, going back to the 40s up until his passing, Mm -hmm. he had a mantra. You always, you had to understand where we came from to to know where we are now and where we're going in the future. Well, that's the thing. It's like what Lisa was asking me initially. Uh, With digital, it's so easy to just go and buy the equipment off the shelf and buy a sound effects library, all these just generic sounds. And nowadays, those wonderful Warner Brothers sounds, the Disney Library, Hanna-Barbera, they're all mixed together, and they're, mm-hmm. just, they're just funny sounds now. But if you learn the context, you learn how they were made, it helps you, you inspire yourself to create more things. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you learn the history, and it helps you move ahead. Yeah, well, that's like when Scott Hacker... And also to understand the sound that was, it, was put to it. I remember David taking a recording of a foot in... Uh, gravel and he turned that into telemetric uh equipment in philadelphia experiment one and two oh, wow. Oh, wow and he could get 50 sound effects out of one little sound yeah oh my god yeah, you had to be very inventive well you know it's like when yeah. scott hecker was on the show and he talked about you know in the empire strikes back oh yeah star wars mm-hmm. and the sound of oh, chewbacca slogging, oh, snow, yeah. slogging through snow was actually his body being drugged through a whole trough of raw eggs. Because <laughs> it mm-hmm. had the right consistency. It yeah. had the consistency. Yeah. So two guys were dragging his body yeah. through this slog of raw eggs to create the sound of Chewbacca slogging in snow. Yeah. It's those kind of tricks that you learn from studying the history and, and figuring out how things are done and try to put a new spin on them. Yeah. Uh, well, and didn't Gene Kelly, for the Singing in the Rain shot, uh, take a couple... Uh, weeks to decide that it was uh, sponges on his shoes to redo the foley for that song. <laughs> yeah, I actually heard mm-hmm. from uh, from his widow that uh, he uh, he insisted that the music editor cut his foley because mm-hmm. he uh, he wanted it perfectly in sync with the music, and I thought that that was a brilliant idea. Yeah, yeah I, he he walked his own mm-hmm. foley, and then he had his music editor cut it. Wow. Which just makes perfect sense. That's, that's, I, I, if you, and for anybody listening, if you haven't seen Patricia Ward Kelly's yeah. one-woman show about Gene Kelly, it is brilliant. She opens up. I adore her. I interviewed yeah. her at TCM a couple times, yeah. and I've been to her show yeah. twice. <laughs> I've been. Because it's so fascinating with all the information that, Absolutely. that she imparts. Now, she's a dear friend, and she knows about the museum. I'm going to get her, uh, get her uh, oral histories uh, recorded uh, sound-wise. And, to show, and also, too, the fact that Gene Kelly had a 103 or 105-degree fever mm-hmm. while they were Oh, during that, that night, yeah, when they were shooting that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He's a yeah. trooper. I mean, sometimes time, time constraints are there, and that's, you just have to go forward. 
Yeah, and Absolutely. and that's something that I think we're losing with the current with the current filmmakers. Um, I hear more and more about well, something's delayed because somebody is sick, or or they don't want to work because they're sick, and. You know, you never would have heard that back in the 40s or the 50s. Yeah. No, you're under contract. We're shooting. We're working. Suck it up. Yeah. Well, there was that great story on Raiders of the Lost Ark where, where Harrison Ford was very, very ill, but he kept shooting as long as he could. And finally, when he was about to just pass out, he told Stephen, you know, I can't do this anymore. And uh, it inspired that gag where he shoots the swordsman because they, they had a whole fight that they were shooting. They actually started shooting it. And Spielberg says, well, you know, the only, you know, we're going to lose half a day. The only way I can get through it is if you shoot the swordsman. Just joking about it. He said that. But the crew laughed and he said, hey, that's a great idea. So the last <laughs> shot Harrison did that day is shooting the swordsman. And you look at him in that shot. He looks like death on a cracker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's ready. He went well, when, back yeah. to his room and went to sleep. <laughs> yeah. When David was working on Salvador with uh, John Savage and James Woods, Mm-hmm. They had such a difficult shoot when they came back. Um, John Savage was not available for ADR. So every single letter of every single word of every single take that John Savage did oh is right God. in there. It's the only production sound for him. Oh, wow. wow. Oh, that's wild. Even did... the gurgle at the end. Oh, my gosh. That was recorded on set. Oh. Wow. Yeah, and, and that's you know that's a testament to the dedication of the craft uh, not only for the performers, but for the technicians yeah. to to capture that. You know, it, there was a time where people didn't figure, oh, I can just fix this later. They actually captured good, solid production sound. Yeah. It's it's tough sometimes, though, with no fault of your own because of the conditions or the special effects or the set is wooden instead of metal or mm-hmm. you know, something like that. So there there's so many things hindering the process. But if you have a really good production mixer, go in and just do... You know, have access to what he needs or she to do what what they need to do. Uh, they can they can do some phenomenal things. Well, that's like our wonderful friend Paula Fairfield. Oh yeah, the mother yeah. of dragons. Yeah, um, she's brilliant. Know, Paula did the sound for Hands of Stone mm-hmm. with Edgar Ramirez, mm-hmm. and to create the cacophony of street noise, she actually went and recorded. All these people got all these people together because it's down in Panama. It's so multicultural, multi-ethnic, with all sorts of dialogues. Mm-hmm. And she recorded all this production sound to use as fill to capture, you know, the sound of people sure. for the street fights, for just the community. Mm-hmm. And it adds so much, and it sounds of so course. great. If you have the time or the inclination to do that, it just brings so much more to your uh, to the show. And it doesn't take that much time. To- it really doesn't. Right. People don't get that. Track. Sound is like if yeah. you know you're you're moving quickly and you have your recorder and you can capture things really quick. It does not take that much time. It just takes a little bit of effort and ingenuity. Um, so yeah, and mm-hmm. and I'm always and ca- for it. I'm yeah. exactly. I'm always trying to record new things, not even knowing what I will need them for. Just knowing that yeah, I have them sort of makes me you know feel better and uh you know building your library uh-huh. is how you you move forward yeah it's it's funny when bill macy and i were talking the other day uh we both brought up because i was record with an h4n recorder when i do interviews yes. yeah because uh, i get such good radio quality sound and bill has that too and he loves the h4n yeah the so zooms, we, yeah. we were talking about the eagle huntress documentary that came out last year mm-hmm. shot in mongolia the, and the first, the female girl who trained to be an eagle huntress in in the culture, 
And there's a sequence where she actually has to climb up this rock face in the steplands, and she act, has to capture an eaglet. And she's going to have that eagle to train. Oh well, the director is there. He's shooting, and he wants to get all this. He couldn't drag any equipment up. All he could do was take his H4N to, up there to sure. capture the sound. That is the sound yeah. in the movie. That's... But, you know, okay. if you've got a good mic and you do it well, it's it's fine. And digital, you know, there was a myth back in the day that digital self-resolves to picture. Well, that's not entirely <laughs> true, but it gets you damn close. So, yeah, in a pinch, you know, you yeah. do what you do and it, it works. So, Lisa, will you be coming yep. out for the dedication of the Hollywood Sound <laughs> she Museum? She better be. <laughs> I'm uh, hoping to get out there sooner than later. Yeah, but no, I, we'll no. just kind of have to see what life brings. Yeah, right absolutely. Now. Well, I am so, very, so. I'm, I'm indebted to her because she is really helping with a lot of the administrative work and a lot of the, the paperwork and you know, leaving me to like deal with some of the the creative stuff and tracking down artifacts and all that that I'm best at. But I'm really indebted to her and her effort uh, she's been making to help the museum become a reality. Because I've uh, well, it's but been... Steve, as I've always said, you're the the cornerstone of all this because you're making this come to fruition. Well, That's thank right. You. Thank you. So that you can save everything for our future people. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Thank you. So, no, I mean, I'm, no, I'm, I will say goodbye. So if anybody else wants to call, they can. <laughs> thank you. I don't think anyone oh, will. But Lisa, I, thank I you do so appreciate much. you calling, dear. Thank you so much. <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye, dear. And Lisa Udall, ladies and gentlemen. So it's eleven thirty-eight. Should we? Oh yeah, we should talk about sounds and stuff well no or do you want to oh you want to do the thing yeah think, i think we should do for, the reveal. for those of you who haven't been watching there's this sort of black covered thing in front of the screen for the picture for people that uh, you know um, that even warranted me bringing out velvet for the table i know right I, you know of course how many people have purple velvet yeah. sitting in their house well uh, <laughs> do you want me to give the the quick because uh, give the quick and well then last we'll week reveal. last week if you tuned into the show uh, we had a call in from my dear friend Lisa Varney. No, the last time you were here, last which time. wasn't last week. Oh no, I'm sorry. It last just week. feels last like week. it. Last week, it just feels like Thank it. Thank you. Last time I was on the show, my dear friend Lisa Varney called in. She is the daughter of the late great re-recording mixer Bill Varney, who is just a master at the craft and mixed so many wonderful films. And in his incredible career, he won two Oscars. One for Empire Strikes Back and one for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, Lisa pledged both of Bill's Oscars to the museum to be on display, which was just overwhelming to me. And we're going to do a nice tribute to Bill in the museum, centerpieced around you know, these Oscars. And just recently, she has sent one of them to us. And this is Bill's would you, Oscar. I'm closer. Would you like you me to go lift ahead and it? Do it? This is Bill's Oscar. Just, just lift the, the thing off. There you go. This is Bill's Oscar from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, uh... Yes, yeah. we have... A, it is a real live yeah, a real little Oscar. golden boy. Yeah. Yeah. It is beautiful. I'm just, I'm just still in awe of, of you know, I, I wake up every morning and look at that in my shelf, you know, with all the artifacts that are going into the museum. And I'm like, you know, how did I get so lucky to have that pledge to us? Um, 
And Bill's work is, is amazing in the film. You know, Ben Bird, of course, again, one of, you know, we've talked about him. Mm-hmm. He created so many of those effects. And Richard Anderson, who called into the show last time yep. I was here, was the supervising sound editor. They have Oscars for this film, too. It's it's one of the, the classic film sound jobs ever. And uh, I'm just I'm just blown away that we have this as part of the museum i it's it's phenomenal and for those of you that have never seen an oscar up close i mean the detail i mean they're beautiful but also they're all numbered yeah um you know there's inscriptions on the back inscriptions on the front i'm not picking it up because steve (laughs) forgot to bring white gloves and he promised and nobody can touch it yeah he promised a lot he- of people have been picking it up, and I, I insist if they do, they wear the white museum gloves because, you know, after a while, they, they lose their, their... The luster. Yeah, their shininess. You have to have it re- replated. Um, yes, reshined. And, yeah, and the Academy will do that for a mere, what, $1,500 or something, something like, like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we're not going to do that. We're not going <laughs> to do that, no. And had I known that you were going to forget the white gloves... Yeah, it's all right. I have a pa- I have a pair of my mother's old white gloves Aww. that are probably seventy years old. Oh I wow! <laughs> I, I would have brought them. You well, know. you go through them pretty quick because they do build. You know, the oils in your hands do go through the gloves eventually yeah. too. Um, yeah, I ordered a bunch of them and I just I just plum forgot. He forgot. So he's just going to sit there and go behind velvet when he goes back into his little. But bag. you know, and of course, we thought it very appropriate that. We have the Oscars sitting in front of Robert Osborne's. Yeah, there you go. Our beloved Robert Osborne. The late great Robert Osborne. 85 years of Oscar. Yeah. Um, seems rather fitting. Absolutely. But this is very exciting. I'm I, glad I could bring that because that's that's one of our big pieces for the museum. I mean, obviously we're going to have sound libraries. We're going to have collections. We're going to have interactive exhibits. We've already started working on it. I did a live stream on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and we actually uh, teased some of the, the – I love I love the interactive tease Yeah, that that's going to be fun because we wanted a way that we can present sound effects to people who come to the museum and sit down and not just, you know – Here's a sound effect. Here's another sound effect. We wanted to make an interesting kind of tie-in to the films they were in and the history. So there'll be this whole sort of touchscreen kind of application that you can... And some of that will be available online, too. We'll have a virtual version of the museum online. But if you actually go into the brick-and-mortar place and sit down at these kiosks that we're going to have, you can access almost the entire collection. Wow. Yeah. How long is it going to take to put that together? I, I don't know. <laughs> I have we're, to, you know, I got to ask you that. No, I, I, I understand. I respect that. I, I, we're still figuring that out. I mean, I'm working every day. I'm working every day on this. We're digitizing sounds. We're going through stuff. I, if you follow my, my personal Facebook page, you'll see uh, I'm posting, you know, these, these shots of me, you know, going through a, a a vast archive of things and boxes that are like falling apart and tape spewing out of them. And I have to make sense of all this stuff. Uh, it's, it's a challenge. And right now it's pretty much just me. Mm-hmm. So your contributions will help immensely to make this happen. Well, and, and <laughs> you know, where can people right now make contributions they pending can, our, the 501c3? Our, our GoFundMe page is still active. Okay. You can actually go, it's referred to, we have a website uh, but if you go there, it'll refer you right to the GoFundMe page because we're still working on the web stuff. We're hopeful, mm-hmm. Hopefully before the end of the year, we'll have a real site. But if you go to hollywoodsoundmuseum.org, which if you're watching on Facebook right now, there should be a link there. Um, but if you go to that site, it'll take you right to the GoFundMe page. And please, you know, anything you can contribute would be immensely helpful. 
and we'll send you a button. We'll send you a T-shirt with your, all kinds of and, premiums. Yes, and we have yeah. lovely buttons. All and kinds of course, of stuff. I spent money yeah. on a T-shirt. There you go. Yes, I did. I saw that. That's great. But uh, and there are higher tiers too, where eventually we, you know we'll give you a membership. We'll give you you know you can come in whenever you like if you if you help us this early stage you know, to to make it happen. And of so, course, yeah. you know, as soon as you get the five hundred one c three, that's going to happen very soon. Lisa, who was just speak, speaking to us, Lisa Udall is is actively making that happen. No, oh, and I know, it takes I, forever. I know that, I know that. I've been talking about this forever. for a year now. It's, but it it's takes five hundred one c threes. Yeah, you got to dot the i's, cross the t's for the government. Oh yeah, we're assembling our board. We're getting yeah. you know all of our all advisory of board. We're having some great, you know, Richard Anderson, who was here, you know, Oscar winner for sound. He's going to be on our advisory board. We've got some great people who've been champions of this for a long time that are going to be a part of it. So, and of course, once <sighs> that happens, you know, donations are then ta- are then tax deductible. tax deductible. Yeah, absolutely. Give you a nice little uh, write off there. That's right. Even for the equipment too, we'll we'll set a monetary amount on yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, because I've gotten moviolas, I've gotten all kinds of editing equipment, and all these wonderful pieces that. Uh, you know, we reward the people who contribute to us somehow. That's one of the ways. Yeah, I, I think that, I think, you know, Pam will probably agree. You know, Nick probably has, station owner Nick Fedorov probably has some audio equipment around here. Yes, that... I saw a few things <laughs> coming. He might want to he dust might, those he off. He might want to dust off. Well, I recently, uh, the um, the CAS, the Cinema Audio Society, who are the, the mixers, mm-hmm. and uh, the... the um, Motion Picture Sound Editors, who have the the Golden Reel Awards every year, they were very gracious to give us uh, ads in their books. And I I made an ad for it. And and rather than ask for donations in those ads, I said, you know, anything you wish to contribute. It was really a call. I I didn't say it in so many words, but I said, you know, whatever's in your garage or your attic, now's the time to clean them out and see what's there and and let's let's make them mean something and help educate people. A call to arms. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, so so let's talk more so, about stuff. I, I here's here's one other thing I brought. Did you dice, see this? I yeah. saw. This is this is one of the little pocket things. Whenever I go to a party or somebody and something and they ask, you know, did you bring anything that you can tell the story? This is just a simple pair of dice. Richard Anderson actually bought these on Hollywood Boulevard at the Hollywood Magic Store. But these are large. Yeah, these are large dice. And for the radio people, there you are. You can hear them. These are the dice that we bought specifically to use uh, for sound effects for Nightmare Before Christmas. For Oogie Boogie. When he's rolling his dice and you know deciding the fate of Jack Skellington and everyone else and Sally and all that. This is them. These are the dice that we recorded for him rolling the dice. And uh, although I don't have them anymore, when he would throw them and they would like go in the ear of a skeleton, a skull Mm -hmm. and rattle around and then come out the other end. um, I stole my mom's small wooden salad bowls to you. (laughs) You know, those were a really big thing. Those were a really big thing (laughs) in the 70s, the wooden salad bowls. I had a pair of those and we put them in there and rattle them around and that's the sound of the the dice and the skulls. But these, I managed to keep the dice and they were in my desk for many, many years and I would use these every now and then if I, there was a trailer we did for some movie, I can't remember what it was. Um... Tommy Lee Jones, you know movies, maybe you remember. Tommy Lee Jones was a mad bomber, and Jeff Bridges was trying to track him down. I can't remember the name Not of it. Not the fugitive. Yeah, no, but but um, but anyway, there was a really stylized trailer of this like 
devious Rube Goldberg kind of thing that triggers an explosion. And they had a close-up of marbles. And these fingers come down, extreme close-up, and they pick up a marble. marble. And uh, I was working with, uh, I think, Ron Bartlett and a couple of other guys were coming up with sound effects for this trailer. And it had to be really big and stylized. And we needed that little close-up of marbles clinking together. Yeah. And I ran up to my office and I got the dice and whoops. And just use that, just just a hint of that for the marbles, and that got in. But the, these have saved my ass so many times. These dice, but they're going in the museum too. All right, they're, they're officially Oogie Boogie's dice. But you know, all kinds of I'm like scouring the world looking for things. And of course, you've got museum. you have sound effects records here. Yes, this is something um, you can you can see them on on camera there. If you you grab grab those, this one in particular is neat because whenever they did a live show. Back in the day, back in the 40s and 50s, and they needed a bunch of sound effects that they couldn't perform, they would actually make records. They'd actually, mm-hmm. you know, carve these, you know, acetate records with the specific sounds they needed. These would be custom made by the radio station. You couldn't get these from a store. And they just assembled the sounds they needed for that particular episode. And so we have a bunch of these that were donated by. A friend. Well, uh, I have some of yeah. those front that go yeah. back to WFIL radio and television in the 40s and 50s. That's that's great. Yeah, this came from a station in Chicago. I don't know exactly what it was. But in the 50s, later on, they actually produced commercial uh, sound effects records that you could Such get. Yeah, these. so these guys, yeah. And they're, they're different distributors. That right. one's particularly good. Doctored for super sound. For super sound. Yeah. But, in audio fidelity, no less. Yeah. But these were all in pretty good condition. We we got this from an independent collector not too long ago. It was very very uh, generously donated to us. We're going to digitize all these, and these will right. be available on those kiosks, so you can look at the cover and actually play them. You know, we're not these the originals will go away and into storage and and be taken care mm-hmm. of. But uh, you'll have access to that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that people don't realize when you're talking about preservation. Um, mm-hmm. Be it with film, be it with videotape, be it with audio. Digital Archive Preservation, DAP, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It, it costs money because uh, I know I'm involved with the broadcast pioneers in Philadelphia yeah. that a ton of stuff that my dad had collected over the years, we donated for them to, digi- to DAP mm-hmm. to archive it digitally but then return it to us right so if i can convince my executor brother to get those back i would <laughs> you know one place has them let's let's share the wealth yeah. with another place absolutely but it is very costly it really is very it's, costly. it's time consuming and it's costly and the equipment upkeep and all that stuff yeah no there's a lot of constant because you have to have the original equipment yeah. that can play the material. Now you touch on something very, very interesting because I am assembling all that too. You know, we're trying to get all the old DAT machines. You know, yeah. it's funny how I'm saying old DAT machines because I remember when they were new and we copied the library onto them and we had racks and racks of DAT tapes and that was the new thing. Ooh. And now it's like you can't find one that works anymore when you need it. And so I'm hoping to have two or more of everything so that we can do these kinds mm-hmm. of transfers, you know, actively. And and other things like this, the old uh, DA eighty eight machines that had eight tracks of digital, you know, in a in a cartridge that was just slightly bigger than a DAT tape, and those were even more finicky than DATs. Yeah. And uh, I've got one of those finally too. I haven't fired it up yet, so hopefully it works. We'll see. But yeah, just tracking down all these things so you can do transfers and archive it and make it available. Yeah, because if you don't have the the original equipment 
to play the stuff, there's yeah. the, to play it on. There is no way you can do any transfers. Yeah. Well, even quarter inch machines. Yeah. You, the tapes are getting all gummy, and you have to bake the tapes. We actually, I was just discussing that with a friend online, uh, the company I was with for many years. We actually invented a, a sort of a sweat box for tapes. We made a big black box, and you heat it up with a. Um, professional hair dryers that we would stick in there and just heat up the air. So, because the biggest problem was if you just stick it in the oven and you forgot about it, you suddenly had this heap of plastic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They found that out several times at some of the studios very tragically. But uh, we figured if we just use hot air, you can get it really, really hot and you put a thermometer in there to monitor it and put it in there for a few hours and it'll play great. It, it, it basically the, the adhesive on some of the brands of tape, Mm-hmm. seeped into the the magnetic side and it was impossible to play without it getting gummed up and this somehow brought it back to life mm-hmm. for a day or two so you could make your transfers and then put it back and that's the thing we're saving all the masters we're not throwing them away right. that's that's one of the things that the studio is doing that that prompted this whole thing about the museum is so many of the actual masters the original tapes are just gone and yeah toss, and they're yeah. as important as you know the the recordings themselves, so we're we're saving those and putting them away, and you know on a shelf where they they can be worshipped. Yeah, <laughs> and and the thing is, anybody who you know you really do worship things like this because you know with everything becoming so digitized now and in a virtual world, that it's the tangible nature of where the industry started, the tangible nature of recording. Absolutely. The tangible nature of film, television. And you do worship and yeah. you treat the stuff with kid gloves because it is it's part of our heritage. It's part of our it has helped shape the world. Yeah. Well, it's like the last time I was here, I had those tapes, master tapes from Raiders. Yeah. And you were looking at the handwritten log and it's yep. like that that was there from the the ingestion of the sound and and there's important information there that doesn't necessarily get translated mm-hmm. and people write in their own little notes and you know working at the company that I did there were three owners and I over at Weddington yeah over at Old Weddington and Mark Mangini Steve Fleck and Richard Anderson and each of them sometimes would there'd be handwritten notes and so you got to learn each of their handwriting so you could see who wrote this in you know Stephen had a very big all caps kind of way and Richard had sort of a sloppy sort of handwritten thing and Mark Mangini had this sort of this neat little like printed thing that he would do and you'd recognize and you'd you'd hear the conversation in your head when you saw the notes from each of them well I think I may have mentioned you that's one of the the coolest things that because my dad had all these 45s that were played on American Bandstand oh wow because he was a cameraman for Bandstand oh that's neat back when it was at 46 and Market Street yeah Uh, they actually played 45s on the show yeah. yeah wow yeah that's wild but a lot of these, and because they were in conjunction, it was Walter Annenberg owned the station at the time. It was WFIL, AM, FM, and television. Mm-hmm. And so they got a lot of stuff also to play on the radio for promotion. And my dad had just rows of this stuff in the basement. And my brother packaged it all up, shipped wow. it all to me. You oh, don't wow. want to know what the FedEx bill oh, was. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, but I had to have a cabinet custom made mm-hmm. to put stuff in. But as I start looking through it... There are all these handwritten notes on the the record sleeve, on the 45 sleeves. Yeah. There are the steel, the aluminum records. 
that most people have never seen or heard yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are handwritten notes in there or notes from who sent the sound effect or who sent. Yeah, yeah. And that is half the That's fun. That's great stuff, yeah. Is, is looking at all of that. Well, the boxes, too, yeah, of these tapes would have different things oh, yeah. on them, too. So you'd, it, And it never got, you know, added to the, the, the metadata or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm thrilled to have some of those tapes. A lot of them got thrown away from mm-hmm. old Weddington, but I saved a few dozen. I saved them from the trash. So. Anything that can get saved. Yeah, is... absolutely. Ben Burt still has all of his Star Wars tapes. Yeah. All the old, he made all those on an old, uh, four track TAC mm-hmm. machine, which I have the same model in my collection. I just found it too. I thought it Yay! was lost. Found it in my stash. It was wrapped up by my movers and I didn't recognize it. It was just with other boxes. Yeah. But I opened it up the other day. But it's the same model that he used. It was just a quarter inch four track machine. Mm-hmm. And he still has all those old masters. Yeah. Uh so it's they're little nuggets of history. Well, and it's yeah. just it's just like lobby cards, the sets of you know, the yeah. set of eight lobby cards that used to be oh, yeah. come out with with films. each film, yeah. They're a thing of the of the past. Pretty much. Yeah. And my good friend Neil Summers uh, stuntman. He also has the largest collection of West Hollywood Western memorabilia. Oh wow! And Neil has the largest collection of lobby cards. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, those are great. And I know I a lot of that he has donated to. Um, a lot of his stuff is on display in the Autry Museum. Oh, that's a great place for it. But yeah. I may have to bo- bother somebody and maybe get <laughs> share the wealth. Exactly. So Pam. Hey Pam, we're just looking at the time here and um, wondering. <laughs> ah, she gave, she the, gave nod. Us the nod. She, so, I, for the second time, we're going to do it. <laughs> we're going to go well, to just, 90 minutes. Just because, again, as we did last time I was here, I look at the log and there's so many things we haven't played and so many stories we haven't told, we could easily do it. So, well, it's, if, it's, let's, if it's up to her, let's give a big, big shout out to Pam. Yay, for, Pam. For helping us do this. Really appreciate Yay. it. But let's let's get into it. What, let's get into let's, some more sound effects here. You've got the log here. in front of me. I've got all these different stories I could tell. Um, let me let me tell the one the the Disney one. When I was a kid, we were talking about sound effects records, and uh, there was a book about ten or fifteen years ago about Disneyland Records, the company that that did the first you know Disney record releases of all the soundtracks and things like that, like rides at the park and things like that. And uh, this wonderful book details the history of all this. And it talks about one of the uh, the first releases. I think it might have been the first release of theirs. I don't know. But uh, it was a very early one. It was a sound effects record called The Chilling Thrilling Sounds of the Haunted House. <gasps> yeah, it's a great album. Everybody had it. It came out in the uh, late 60s. I had it. Yeah. I had there were it. well there's several different covers. There was a white cover, there was an orange cover. I had was, the orange. Yeah, the orange that was like the second The release. orange and black. Yeah, yeah, the original was white. I had one of those and then I wore it out and then I got the the orange one. And then it came out later with like party tricks inside and things like that. But uh that had to be one of the easiest albums that the Disney uh, Disneyland Records produced because it was all stuff from the library. It was all Jimmy McDonald's sound. And the narration was recorded uh, by a narrator who was there on another gig. And she had an extra 20 minutes on her session. So they brought her in and, and could you just read this so we can walk this out? And that's how they got It was <laughs> done so cheaply, but it was one of the most successful albums that they ever released. And it went into reprint after reprint after reprint. But I had that thing. And I love those sounds. 
And when I was able to go into the Disney archives and like listen to some of the original sound effects, I found some of the original elements that were used to make that album. And so um, I have some of them here to play. Oh. Me, um, if you play number 13, I believe this is from the uh, album. This is one of – on the sound effects side, there were two sides. There was a side that sort of told stories, and then there was a second side that had the raw elements. And Q13, I believe, is the first cue of that second side where it was screams. Oh, Ghost well. screams. <laughs> Sounds like the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Well, it's all the same guys. There's yeah. some elements that were recorded for that, of course, because this was a few years after, or like a year after the Haunted Mansion. So there was a lot of crossover. But uh, let's listen to this whole cue because it sort of cues into the story. These are great. Okay, now this one in particular, listen carefully to this one. And then he does some laughs. And that reverb that's on it, it's great. This is literally off a copy of the record. So. Okay, so that's so that's that's that cue from that's the very first cue on the side two of uh, the chilling three English sounds. Now I watched a lot of Disney on TV and movies, and I would record things off the TV. So one year around Halloween, there's this old Disney Mickey Mouse cartoon that comes on called Lonesome Ghosts. And I recorded it. But even as I'm watching it and I'm listening to it, um, I'm hearing things that sound familiar to me. Mm -hmm. Pam, play number 15, please. This is the opening of Lonesome Ghosts. And it opens up in the middle of this storm, and there's this haunted house with the shutters, you know, flapping and all this stuff. And you fade in on the inside of the haunted house, and you see some ghosts appear. Wiped it out of the dialogue track for this oh cartoon. And if you listen to it, it's got that, that reverb built into it. They right. probably recorded, they probably did the session in the Disney echo chamber. Probably, yeah. Which nowadays you would never do that because you want more control over it. You do it later. You know, you do it electronically or you'd worldize it where you re-recorded it mm. in an environment. But back then they just went ahead and did it. But that was that was a big revelation for me that I, you know, found out that that was. And another one, it's Pam, if you could queue up 14. This was just um, – I found this in the library. I don't know what it was recorded for specifically, but this is a session for that initial scream at the beginning of the queue. Queue number 14, Pam. Ah! 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 
<laughs> and I do believe that's actually Jimmy McDonald. It sounds it sounds like Jimmy. Like Jimmy McDonald. Yeah, performing it because he did a lot of that stuff himself. But again, as you see, that was dry. That didn't have any reverb on it. Right. So they, they added that later for the album. But that was from the library. That was like a raw effect out of the library. So, wow. Uh, you know, it, being able to track these down and hearing these for the first time, it was uh, Very pretty cool. damn cool. Yeah. But uh, that's, you know, that's one of the sort of, that's one of the reasons I am what I am. Because I was able to track these things down and I got hooked on the, the, the audio archaeology side of it. Mm-hmm. Tracking down that stuff. Well, you know, and talking about audio archaeology, we have some wonderful Raiders clips here. Oh, we got a couple. Yeah. Well, it's which one do you want to do? You want to uh, talk well, about I, the, the four or five? Um, I don't know. Do we want four or five? Yeah. Let's. Well, okay. Well, let's tell the story of the guy. The, there's a brilliant voice artist out there. He's semi-retired now, but it's you've heard him millions of times. A guy named Frank Welker. Amazing guy. One of his first gigs was he was the voice of Freddy on Scooby-Doo. And he's still doing it, too. It's, there was an episode of Supernatural where the cast came on. He's like the last of the original voices from Scooby-Doo that's still doing it. But he's an amazing voice artist. Uh, Mark Mangini knew him from his days at Hanna-Barbera. And Mark was cutting sound on Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he had the sequences with the monkey. And he approached it very realistically in the beginning, he tried to record a monkey and tried to build a library of monkey sounds, but nothing was really interesting. Nothing had character. And he remembered Frank from his days, his cartoon days, and he had Frank in. And Frank Welker looped the monkey. He replaced the voice of the monkey from scratch, just to picture like an actor coming in to redo his lines. And a lot right. of people don't know that. He would later come in and do the voice of Abu in, uh, in Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Uh, which had a lot of dialogue in it too, but uh, you know, which was perfectly suited for for Frank. But, but I think Raiders was the first instance where he did a monkey in a big feature film. So Pam, if you could play number five, this is actual. This is a session with Mark Mangini directing Frank as the monkey. Monkey noises. Okay, this is uh, going to be some wild stuff for uh, uh, scene four, take one. Uh, this give me a, a just one short thing where he recognizes the mother. <laughs> <laughs> more cutesy. This is where he's, he's real cute. Okay. Now, how about now he he turns to the kids and he screams at them. Not too nasty, but longer. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you, you okay, bring in now for grabbing the ear. You bring an animal onto a stage. You can't give him direction. No. Yeah. It's just incredible stuff. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, Frank is just amazing. 5-5, five five, take one. This is more of the, uh, more of the monkey. <laughs> yeah, these are actual ADR takes. If you listen carefully, you can hear the three beeps in the background. Because yeah. he, he performed it to picture. 5-6, take one. Yeah, for the beeps. Yeah. Okay, how does a human make these sounds? I know, right? That's, that, that baffles He's me. A, Frank is a genius. Five dash six take two. Anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's great. Okay. All right, that's, that's, that's enough of that. Enough monkey. <laughs> well, there's one other. Tr- he also did, he did a bunch of things. There's one shot in Raiders where uh, the, the arc is on a submarine in a crate. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
the the power of the ark uh, basically blackens out the the Nazi symbols on the crate, and there are a bunch of rats that start going nuts because of this, you know, the power of the ark. And so they have this little insert of these racks sort of freaking out and they didn't have any track for it. And Frank, you know, steps in. Oh yeah, I can, I can do that. So if you play number seven, you'll you hear that. <laughs> this is Frank doing rats for Raiders. A, a rat uh, going into red in pain for real 10. That's not a squeak toy. That's a guy. That's a, a man making that sound. <laughs> a oh poor rat. God. That's Frank. Oh my God. He also did some desert dogs. I, I real and you can just barely hear them in in the in the film. Uh, Steve Flick cut those reels out in the desert, and when Marion is in the tent with Belloc being questioned, you'll hear off in the distance these oh mm-hmm. desert dogs just. For a moment, but see that's so that, <laughs> and I love that in films when the director, the sound designers, when they stop and they think about those ambient sounds, mm-hmm. it's not always what you have right here. Oh, sure, in front of you. Sometimes we miss traffic. People are not thinking about having traffic in yeah. the background or dogs or birds. But or... you pick something that has an em- emotional content to it. Right. I was flipping channels yesterday and uh, as you know, many of us do, the Star Wars films were on again. So I had to sit and watch them again. <laughs> and Return of the Jedi came on and there's this one moment where uh, Princess Leia is alone in the forest and she meets Wicket, one of the Ewoks. Mm-hmm. And the birds in the scene and the creatures in on the planet Endor, this wonderful, fanciful alien environment with all these, you know, happy, chirpy, weird alien birds. But then all of a sudden, Wicket tenses up and he's got a spear and he's, you know, something's going on. Princess Leia's like, what is it? If you listen to the birds, they suddenly just switch completely to mm-hmm. these sort of scared kind of ominous birds mm-hmm. and it was like you're not thinking of it consciously because you're not you know no one is listening specifically to the backgrounds they're following the scene ideally but if you do tune out to, of the scene just enough to listen to the background it makes this night and day shift mm-hmm. uh where all of a sudden it's these nasty sort of evil you know something's going to happen birds mm-hmm. and you know, I've seen these films hundreds of times, and so I like was just noticing that sort of thing. And it's it's really a big shift, but you're so into the characters that you don't think about mm-hmm. it. And that's that's one of the magic of you know, part of the magic of telling these stories. Mm-hmm. Well, and similarly, you know, the outcry when when the Last Jedi when it goes to dead silence. Yeah. Well, yeah. Ben, Ben did that uh, during one of the prequels too, with the the one the weapon, the one uh, the Boba Fett seismic charge or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, there's a moment of just nothing on the track. A lot of people thought there was something wrong with their digital playback system or something like that. But well, with Jedi out. people in the theaters yeah. thought that yeah. there was something. Yeah, wrong. they actually had to put up signs that said, yeah. you know, it is not. Yeah, it's and not an anomaly. You know, and it's funny. And I just talked to Dion Taylor on Saturday. Dion has a new movie coming out. Mm-hmm. On Friday, as a matter of fact, Mm -hmm. uh, called Traffic. And Dion took this really bold approach with this film. And he he cuts to total silence, just as you're watching a horrific act unfold with just a single 
noir headlights, backlighting to mm-hmm. people, and no sound, just right. You know, it, but you don't really think about it at first. But then all of a sudden, it jars you, just like the sound in Return of yeah. the, uh, the Jedi. Uh, one of my favorite sound jobs in the late 90s, 97, I think it was, was uh, Contact, the, mm-hmm. the Robert Zemeckis film with Jodie Foster. Uh, Randy Tom was the sound designer of that. A brilliant guy. He's a, he's a friend of the museum, too. He's a great guy. But there's a lot of silence in that film, too. Yeah. I mean, the opening, the opening credits are over complete silence until they cut to the, the shot of the earth, and then you hear all the radio transmissions. And then they pull back. And they start thinning out and you start going back in time with all the radio transmissions basically mm-hmm. telling you how far back, you know, because these radio waves are traveling at a, such a slow rate that, you know, the further away you go from Earth and you're going back in time hearing these radio things. And it's really a powerful sequence and it really teaches you how big, you know, the, the vastness of space and, and also the teaches you about radio waves, and which is a very important plot point of the film. But after a while of just pulling back, it goes to silence again. And it's just so powerful. There's several uses mm-hmm. of silence in contact that are just outstanding. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's really one of it, the best jobs uh, it, of yeah. that year. Yeah. yeah. The sound design on contact yeah. is yeah. amazing. No, it's really good. You know, that one, I truly love that. And it's ironic that you mentioned that today because mm-hmm. SpaceX was launching today. Oh, right. Um, tests to, for the exoplanets. Yeah. Yeah, I always try to watch those. I mean, you talk about going far and radio waves, and yeah. so who knows yeah. what may be found. You know, all those programs, SETI, and all those programs are still active, so yeah. yeah. We'll, see. we'll see. So yeah. so uh, that's probably a good segue again into, into Star Wars, I think. If you, Oh, no, wait, let's, let's do one really quick one, too. I don't have much of a story for this one, but this one makes me smile. Um, Pam, number 30, please. I'm going to let Mark Mangini 30. slate this one. I'm not even going to say anything about Number this. Number 30. Yeah, this, is, this is a cue from a Joe Dante film called Explorers. And um, Take four. There you go. I mean, take, take five. Uh, alien eating harmonica. <laughs> Mono two track. Now, every sound library needs the sound of an alien eating a harmonica. <laughs> yep. That's pretty much what it would sound like. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if anyone's seen Explorers, but it's a fanciful, silly film where these kids build a spaceship and meet crazy aliens. And, um, yeah, Mark needed the sound of <laughs> an alien eating a harmonica. Okay, that's enough. I just I just need to do name jobs. That's Explorers is one of my favorite sound jobs. Anyway. This is when Pam works the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> Steve is here. This is when Pam really, really earns her keep. And I appreciate it. I'll have to, I'll have to buy her a drink later. Um, well, I think it's a perfect. We go from aliens into, into, into Star Wars. Star Wars. Okay. Well, this is uh, this is just sort of a montage. We we're talking about the great Ben Burt, who made all these sound effects. He was on Star Wars about a year before. It was even shot mm-hmm. before they started filming it. Like in 1975, he started collecting sounds and built the sound of all the spaceships and all the weapons and all the creatures and all that. And I, I put together just sort of a little montage of the Star Wars sound effects. So if you play number 31, Pam, this is a little tour of the sounds in the Star Wars universe here. 
the legacy sounds, which we're still hearing in yep. all the all the new films and on TV and all the commercials and trailers and everything like that. But I like them. Yeah. I mean, those are instantly recognizable. I mean, of those course. are those are indelibly connected with the franchise forever and ever. And, yeah. You know, Ben is is unfortunately no longer a part of the franchise. Uh, hopefully, he might be coming back. We we hope because you know he created all these legacy sounds that really have such an impact. Well, and especially with all of the independent stories that are coming out now in the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. But they're still based on these. I mean, Tim Nielsen, who is supervising uh, sound or one of the sound designers on the Han Solo movie. Um, I chatted with him briefly, and he's he's like an expectant father. They're, this is their last week of final dubbing this week mm-hmm. right now. And he's like, you know, hopefully it sounds like a Star Wars film. And I know what he means because they have such a great, you know, the sound is so dense on them, and they're so, you know, the elements are so evocative of that, that world. That uh, Well, yeah. if anybody's going to make sure that it sounds like a Star Wars film, yeah. it's going to be Ron Howard. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. I love Ronnie. So Opie Cunningham, we used to call him when, Opie I, Cunningham. when I when I cut sounds on uh, on Apollo thirteen. Yeah, he's a good guy. But uh, I I I am such a big fan of those films, and I've listened to those tracks. I mean, just something as simple as um, there's one sound that that Ben told me what he used for in in the original Star Wars when they put the little. Uh, the restraining bolt on R2-D2 to, mm-hmm. to, to like lock him up and, you know, make it so he won't go anywhere. They, the Jawas have this little ray that they zap at him or something like that to freeze him. And, uh, I, uh, tracked down the thing that he recorded. If, uh, Pam, if you could play cue number 36, this is, this is a wow. little, this is a little prop. Yeah. You're, you're, you're this way. is a Buck Rogers sonic ray gun courtesy Bob Burns. This is a little battery-operated ray gun that they sold way back in the day. And my friend Bob Burns, who is a, a memorabilia collector and uh, has all these wonderful movie props, had one of the original Buck Rogers ray guns. And he was friends with Ben, and Ben asked him to record it. And that's the sound of the, the restraining bolt uh, buzzer. And uh, when I was doing Looney Tunes back in action for Joe Dante... I one of the sequences I had was this shot of um, Wiley e. Coyote taking out the little remote control to trigger some diabolical mm-hmm. thing, and you know you remember Wiley e. Coyote's little remote controls were basically a box with an antenna and a big red button. That was of it. Course. That was it. That's all you needed, and he pushed the button. You know, obviously and now <laughs> that you mentioned that, you know what immediately popped yeah. into my head is, you know, 
our, our president and his, you know, <laughs> and the big red button threats oh, all the time. Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> maybe he thinks he's Wiley Coyote. Yeah, maybe that's he's certainly a cartoon character. I'll tell you that much. But uh, anyway, we needed a buzz for that, and I thought, what better thing to record than the Buck Rogers Reagan? So I borrowed it from Bob and <laughs> recorded it. But that started in life as uh, the sound of uh, the Jawas restraining bolt. Wow. Activator. Wow. So, yeah, so that's a little Star Wars connection there that we learn from the history and use it to, to go forward. Now, I'm curious here. You've got a sound oh, from Forbidden Planet. Yeah, this is something, uh, this is just a sample of uh, the, the background textures that they did in the sound effects. It's Louis and B.B. Barron were these two avant-garde music composers in New York who uh, were hired to do the soundtrack for Forbidden Planet, and they did this whole score. Mm -hmm. The studio was amazed because they didn't ask them to do an entire score, but they literally took the film and just scored it. And uh, they weren't in the music union at the time, so they called their their contribution to the film uh, Electronic Tonalities. But uh, they did this wonderful score. And this is one of my favorite little pieces. If you could play number 42, Pam. This is just a sample of the sound effects from Forbidden Planet. We've used this a lot in Joe Dante's movies because it's mm-hmm. just got that wonderful sci-fi kind of yeah. musical sound to it. I love this sound. I love it. You know, I'm curious, Steve, with all of these sound effects, because, you know, now I'll get emails all the time. It's Mm -hmm. like, download free sound library, royalty free, blah, blah, blah. And I always delete them. But how, but. As you should. How many, how many of these classic effects, such as the Robin Hood arrow, such as the Forbidden Planet, how many are in the public domain that, that can just be swiped? Well, that's the thing. That's, I'm curious um, it's, about it's, that. That's a very sensitive issue. And I actually have um, lawyer friends who are going to be investigating some of that to find the, the definitive answer. But it's a gray area because what is copyrighted is the finished work, the entire right. track. But then you get into these things like the Star Wars sounds that are so indelibly. And specific. Yeah. And- Technically, the studio owns the materials you make for a film, but but things that do not have a specific signature can be used over and over again. And so you can be you can argue that if you don't recognize that sound that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and use it again. That's easy for door closes, gunshots, that sort of thing. But you have something as as specific as art. Let's this is a good excuse to play play number 34. Here is a sound effect that we just discussed. And you hear this right away, and you know what it is. You know, this is this is associated with a character, and it will always be associated with that character. Yeah. This is this is Ben Burt's creation for the voice of R two D two. And if you were to use this sound, these vocals, mm-hmm. for another robot in another movie, they would they would fire you. Yeah. No, it's like. What are you talking about? That's R2-D2. There's no way in hell you could get away with it. Could you imagine social media? Yeah. Social media would explode Yeah. if this sound was exactly. applied anywhere except R2-D2. Exactly. You know, maybe bits of it for another R2 unit in the series, which they they have done things like sure, that. Sure, with BB-8 already. Yeah, yeah exactly. And BB-9. Well, yeah, exactly. 
But uh, I mean, they have their own voice because they're so specific. Right. You know, they've, they're lead characters. But some R two unit that comes on for about half a second. Yeah. The, you know. And, well, there's piece. like as we heard in the montage, the lightsaber. Yeah. Lightsaber is very, very, very specific. Oh sure. You know that is a lightsaber I, battle. I had an opportunity to cut a lightsaber sound in in Looney Tunes back in action. For there's this sort of parody scene at the end where uh, Bugs takes out a carrot lightsaber mm-hmm. and turns it on. And I, I asked Joe specifically. I went to the director and said, "Okay, I can use this, right?" And he said, "Oh yeah, we have we have permission to do that. We have the rights to that, you know. And it's parody too. So go ahead. So, okay. Right. And I cut. I've never heard anything, so I don't know if anyone got in trouble. But I cut a lights. And I even emailed Ben. I said, "Hey, I'm cutting a lightsaber." And, so, <laughs> and he laughed and he said, "Oh, great." Um, so it's probably my only chance where I get to cut one officially. And it wasn't even a Star Wars. Piece, but close enough yeah, but it was the real thing and uh that was a thrill but yeah is there's no other opportunity you have to do something like that if you're parroting something that's you can get away with it sometimes but uh for something new and original you want it to be new and original mm-hmm. you don't want to use any of that but yeah to answer your question uh it, it's a gray area it depends on the 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 how big that sound is um, I mean, obviously, the Wilhelm scream everybody can use. It's well, I mean, you can argue that it's a, it's a Warner Brothers thing, but right. they they haven't really laid claim to it, and, right. it, and it's out there. The Pandora's box is is broken, you know. And we don't even definitively know who the artist is. We think it's Sheb Woolley. We're ninety eight percent sure, but we don't know. And he never laid claim to it. He knew that he did screams and things like that, and he told his his wife who confirmed with us that he was quite proud of the fact that he would come in and do this sort of thing. He had fun with it. But we never, yeah, we never got official mm-hmm. confirmation. So, Ah, so the, so the rumors, the rumors yeah. persist. Yeah, All right, it we, sort of adds to the legend, yeah. So what do we do? We have time for what, one one more maybe? Well, let's see. What do we want to talk about here? We've got a few more things. I, the War of the Worlds is a good one. I could play you a few of those things. Let's how about um, the composite? Oh, uh, the War of the Worlds. Yeah, I can play you that. Let's well, do that one. We'll, we'll play the little clip. Yeah, number 45, Pam. Uh, this is just a sort of a, a sound. This is a composite out of the library of, of some of the sounds made for the old uh, George Powell movie War of the Worlds, which which had some really inventive sound design. They were all original creations. A guy named Gene Garvin was uh, in charge of those sounds. And um, there's some brilliant, brilliant things there. And some of them got... Uh, utilized later for Star Trek because they were at Paramount and uh, when they were making sounds for Star Trek they sort of lifted a few things mm-hmm. from different sources but this, this some of the, the Martian war machine sounds in, in War of the Worlds are really cool and you're still hearing them I, I heard some in Ready Player One Yeah, there was a reference to, to the War of the Worlds sound effects so uh, 45? 45 nope no. Oh, it's not playing. Okay, well, let's play some of the some of the weapon sounds. The um, the firing. Yeah, the firing number forty four. This is a raw track out of the library of uh, yeah. This is one of the elements of of the ship firing. Oh, and I think I know why it's not playing, Pam. The forty five. It doesn't have a. It doesn't have the extension on it. It doesn't have a uh-huh. dot wave. If you if you were able to add that, you might be able to play it, but it's okay. We don't need it. <laughs> but uh, that the sound that you just heard, the weapon sound, that was the raw track of of the sort of you know the pew pew of the weapons. How they made that? Do you have any idea how they made that? 
I have no have clue. It's a, it's a guitar chord slid down, an electric guitar chord with the slider going all the way down. And then little bursts of those Bursting. cut together really quickly. If you play number 47, you'll hear individual recordings of that, the, the guitar. Oh. See? Now it becomes a little more obvious. Right? Yes. Yeah. So these are the individual pieces. Uh-huh. And you cut those together really fast and you get the firing. See, this is this is why we have a museum for this stuff. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then if you quickly want to play 48 and 49, uh, Pam, these are some of the scanner, some of the nasty scanner. It's very snake-like. Very, these are all feedback. I know. And oh, yeah. These are all guitar feedback and things like that. And 49, too, is a nice little warble kind of... It does sound otherworldly. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to go ahead into 50, this is a, one of the weapons blasts that they made that was used for Star Trek later. But it was originally made for, uh, for War of War the Worlds, Worlds. Q number 50. Oh, you probably can't do that one, too. I see it doesn't have the extension No either. extension. Yeah. So we can't do that one. Oh, well. Well, I don't know. She can try. Is she doing it? No, no she's not working. Her head. Yeah, it's fine. Well, and... That's basically it. We're out of time anyway. We're out of time anyway. <laughs> Oh, my God. We can keep going if we you want We can keep going. <laughs> but we're not going. To. We're not going I'm not going to put Pam through that. <laughs> Steve Lee, thank you, thank, thank you. you, thank you again. Well, thank you for sharing the history. And if anyone wants to learn more, they can go to hollywoodsoundmuseum.org. They can go to our Facebook page. They can learn more about this. Make a contribution, please. And Twitter, um, it's HWD Sound Museum. Yep. Um, YouTube. Uh, I think Kinda, so. Sorta. Yeah, we're still developing that. But, you, yeah. but you have some stuff on there YouTube. There is some stuff there. We're going to have more. With so guys like we'll Mark Mangini talking yeah. about the museum exactly. and things like that. Sure. We're well, out there. another amazing show. We have an Oscar here, <laughs> people. Oscar. So that is all the time we have today. Next week is our annual pre-TCM Film Festival with some of my favorite classic film mavens will be calling in again. But for Steve Lee, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens, and Steve will be back in the future with more (laughs) Hollywood Sound Museum info.